Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Skula. Got another really exciting interview with a chap called John McDonnell, and he he has launched and marketed a number of successful global brands, and is highly regarded as a leader in in the drinks industry. And he used to be European VP of Sales for Seagrams, which was which is a huge uh, huge business, and he used to lead one point one billion dollars of sales in in Europe. He also grew the expansion of Patron in the world into over 130 countries and islands and Patron became the world's number one tequila brand. Yeah, he's now actually managing director of international for Tito's Handmade Vodka. They are now in over 130 countries. In, in just five years with his uh, with his experience and he's he's heavily involved with charities and things like this and the patron tequila brand and grew it into i believe it was 150 countries is that right john it was very close to 150 countries became a global brand for anyone that doesn't know it it's, it's got a really nice iconic bottle you also i believe launched didn't you launch a coffee version of it as well Yes, Patron XO Cafe. That was the coffee version. I remember uh, remember drinking a few a few of those a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, very high in caffeine. Yeah, you're not kidding. I, I certainly didn't yeah. get any get any sleep. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like how you built it, like how did you how did you actually get that into 150 or 100 close to 150 countries? Like, what was your first kind of thing that you did? You sat down probably and and, and put a plan together, and and what what did you do? Well, the, the light bulb went on when I was flying through different airports. And I looked at the duty-free selection in the, in the liquor section. And what I observed was all the duty-free customers had high-priced scotches, Canadian whiskeys, and cognacs. And then I looked at the tequila section, and they had, you know, $8 bottles of tequila. And they're not going to keep the store open or the lights on selling $8 bottles of tequila. So I went to them and I said, why don't you try this proposition? You know, Patron, we're priced about $40, $45. Why don't you upsell all your tequila consumers? So all the duty-free customers bought into that concept. And then once we started making headway in the duty-free shops, we went to the different countries and said, hey, look at the business we're doing in duty-free. We'd like to, you know, get you to start focusing on ultra-premium tequila. So that's pretty much the long and the short of it. But the game changer was in 08, 09, the economy in the U.S. was tanking. So when what do drinks industry companies do when the things get tough? The first thing they do is they slash marketing. So right. while all these big companies were slashing their marketing spend, I called up our billboard company. Claire Channel Communications. And then I went to all the major magazines and I said, I want to buy all the back covers that all these companies have given up 
and I want the best billboards in every major city in the USA. And, and we slap Patron on those billboards and magazines. And then people said what you said to me earlier, oh my God, this brand's everywhere. It yeah. wasn't that we were everywhere. We just bought the best locations and the best back covers of magazines. So that's what really changed the game on ultra premium tequila. Right. Because it sort of came from nowhere, didn't it? The Patron brand. Like it was, it was sort of one day it was like, it was like Jose Cuervo and like, you know, there, there was like that right. Mescal brand. I mean, I'm talking about in the United Kingdom here in, in sort of independent right. off licenses and stuff. Cause I used to work in, in the independent off licenses back in the day, you know, when I was studying, mm-hmm. um, studying wine and this kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, there were two tequilas. It was just, I think, or three. There might have been Jose Cuervo, which is just awful stuff. And then there was the gold version of that. And then there was this mezcal in a sort of funny square, rectangular-shaped bottle with a worm in, you know. Right. And then in Europe, you find a brand called Sierra Tequila with a little um, uh, Mexican sombrero on it. Yeah. So the, the, the other thing is when instinctively, when you mention the word tequila to somebody, if you're mm-hmm. in a group of people, somebody will pop up and immediately start telling you about this horrible experience they have yep. by shooting tequila. And then they, you know, they didn't feel well, got sick, woke up with an awful headache. So yep. when we were building Patron, we didn't talk about tequila. We said, we want you to try an ultra premium white spirit. And after they sampled it, they'd go, well, what is this? And we'd say, oh, that happens to be tequila. And then most people would go, oh, my God, I don't remember tequila tasting so good. And so all these components together is what really propelled it to become a global iconic brand. Right. I'm sitting here nodding away. It takes me back to to my old drinks industry days, you know, and it's it's a fantastic industry to be in. But it's like, so Patron, would you call it like a sipping tequila? There's higher marks that I would say, yes, it's a sipping tequila. But a lot of the people still consume uh, Patron in shocks or in margaritas. Right. Right. But, but did they do the sort of, sort of salt and lemon stuff with Patron or not? If you understand the quality of the brand, you wouldn't do the salt and the lime. But, no. you know, a lot of people that are, you know, the entry level drinking person probably mm. still would revert to salt and lime. It's really unfortunate, isn't it? Because that's actually for hiding the, 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 the awful tequilas, right? Exactly. You're masking the taste. <laughs> yeah. it, dreadful. It's dreadful. It, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it was a great brand, but now, you know, Patron is starting to lose a lot of its distribution in bars and restaurants because right. a lot of, a lot of people in the business feel it's too mainstream and they started ah. cutting, they've started cutting the price and chasing volume. Right. It's always the way, isn't it, in the drinks industry? Like they, they sort of, you start out going into all the really great bars with the sort of really kind of the posher, more upmarket locations, and then it becomes mainstream, doesn't it? And then, and then there's that price war, isn't there? 
it, you, you just nailed it. That's exactly what happens. And then like the, the premium outlets just turn around and say, well, if it's going to be stocked in the supermarkets, I'm not buying it anymore. Or if it's in, you know, a, a, a big company, uh, a chain of bars, then they go, well, we don't want it anymore. Right. Cause it takes like the exclusivity. Is that, is that how you put it? Yeah. When you go, when you go to, you know, big box type of outlets and, and price cutting supermarkets like you have in the UK, then it takes the profitability out of the brand. You know, so that's why you have to be careful and you have to sell different sizes to different channels so that right. people, you know, in today's day and age, you can price comparison, any product or category. It's often the way, isn't it? When they just sort of, they, they have like a different label for, for in the on licenses for like the bars and then a different label for the, for the sort of off trade, you know, like supermarkets and, and places like that. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of um, your supermarkets do private labeling yeah. to differentiate from the, the other brands. You know, when you see a brand like Absolute in the product life cycle, they're at the point where they're price cutting substantially. Yeah. So, you know, now that I work for Tito's Handmade Vodka, you know, I can't, you know, I don't want to fall victim to that and start chasing them because then it becomes a race to the bottom in price. Yeah. You know, so we're maintaining our premium positioning in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with your premium positioning on, on the Tito's vodka, right? Yes. Is that down to like the process, uh, the, 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 that you, that you guys use when you, when you actually distill, uh, that and age it and stuff or, or what? Yeah. Well, it, you know, uh, Tito's handmade vodka is, uh, six times distilled and we use, wow. um, the only grain we use is corn. It's a hundred percent corn based which makes it naturally gluten-free. And in right. um, Tito, whose last name happens to be beverage, just spelt slightly different. <laughs> and you can't make this stuff up. He, you know, he built the first still that he used to make Tito's handmade vodka. And his, his focus when he started to make the vodka was he wanted to make a vodka that women could enjoy straight up or on the rocks without any mixers. Right. Uh, if you, you'll find um, a lot of people that consume Tito's globally just drink it on the rocks or with a splash of uh, club soda. Right. Right. And and that's our point of differentiation. You know, a lot of people out there that might be listening to this will say, "Oh, all spirits are gluten free." And that's not the case because you can't guarantee that you've distilled out the gluten of all the different brands that are out there. So we have a certificate that supports that this brand is 100% gluten-free. Wow. Well, I think six times distilling it gives it a massive differentiator anyway, doesn't it? Because of the smooth, the smooth flavors, right? Yes. You're spot on. It, yeah. I, I drink, Tito's just straight up. I mean, it's just right. chilled down. It's just so smooth. Right, right. And so, so how many countries over there at the moment? You're so you're you're managing director of international business over there right now, right? Yes, I handle everything 
with the exception of Canada and U.S. domestic business. So, right. you know, duty-free in all the markets outside the U.S. and Canada. Fantastic. So how many countries are you currently in then with, with Tito's, John? Tito's, we, we just launched it, countries and islands. We're in 145. Wow. Fantastic. And how big is the, is the distillery? Like, I mean, how, what sort of volume are you, are you kind of going for? Can you talk about that? Or? No, it's a private company, so we don't disclose revenue or cases. Okay. It continues to be a favorite among um, the, the U.S. population. Wow, fantastic. So in terms of, in terms of kind of building a global brand, right? You know, we, we were talking a bit earlier about business successes and, and this kind of stuff. And, and we, both, we both sort of agreed that when people get things wrong in business, that's generally the sort of important lessons, yeah? Because okay. everyone talks about business success. But in fact, without having something go wrong, reaching success is very difficult, isn't it? So what... Do you want to talk about anything that sort of went wrong that, that really created success in, in, in your career? Yeah, I could, I, I could point to when, um, when I worked for Patron Tequila, we wanted to branch out into another category. So we purchased a vodka and we, the name of the brand was Ultimate Vodka. And, you know, it fit in that $40 price position in a very cool, sleek, look and package but mm. the consumers you know couldn't differentiate here we were an ultra premium tequila company why were we in vodka so it it just put a tremendous strain on the organization trying to branch out and what we should have done was just stay focused on what we did well which was making tequila so you know there's I learned a valuable lesson in that. So at Tito's Handmade Vodka, we're not into any other categories. We do not make flavors. We do what we do well, and that's produce, sell, and market Tito's Handmade Vodka. Right. We're not, we're not branching on. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because they come along, don't they, and they, and they sort of dilute the brand, right? I mean, like... Because Absolute, like you watched Absolute, right? It came along, it was a great vodka, yeah? And then they were like, oh, well, how are we going to stretch this out? And like, I know, we're going to launch like an apple flavor and then, uh, you know, and all these kind of cheap sort of flavors, yeah? Um, right. And that's a quick way to like dilute the quality of the brand, right? Right. Well, I mean, uh, Smirnoff went so far as they were making flavors like birthday cake and cupcake. I mean, you know, and then finally the consumer said enough is enough. You know, yeah. cotton, there was a cotton candy vodka. I mean, so yeah. then you're, you're right. You, you dilute the base brand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over here in the UK right now, everyone's, everyone's going into distilling. Like there's just a mad upsurge in, 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 in new companies distilling uh, spirits. Right. And yeah. Um, we've got this thing with the microbreweries as well, yeah. But the but the problem is, is that in fact the amount of domestic consumption of beer is 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 actually quite low when when you when you when you think about how many microbreweries there are. So 
So then everyone's just racing to drop the price to the bottom, you know, and, and there's a big problem with microbreweries. And I personally think that actually with distilleries in the UK, I think that is probably going to start happening in this, in this category, probably within, I would say 10 years, actually might take 10 years, maybe five. But I think, I think that, you know, when you think of, you've got you've got the, the big big brewers who've who've got stills like you've got adnams they've got their own still and and then you've got all these little sort of niche producers and it's a bit like the wild west really the way it's going over here right now yeah if if, if one more person talks to me about gin it just makes me yeah. crazy there's so many gins the pro- proliferation of gins is just mind blowing yeah I'm really pleased you said that because because actually I was having this conversation probably how many months ago probably about three months ago I was talking to a friend of mine he started a distillery with 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 his with a couple of partners Uh, it's you know small small distillery but they have they've launched a gin but the thing is their branding really fits with a gin because they're like right near the coast they're they're you know they're near Portsmouth they've they've sort of targeted the right people to sell their gin yeah. and they and they they do very small volume and this kind of stuff but but they're actually doing a rum as well and i think i think rum is a is a is a category that you know in the next 5 to 10 years is is going to then be the next well it won't be the next gin that quickly but i think in 10 years we might have another conversation and, and, and you and I'll be like, oh, look at this rum category now. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that, it's definitely the consumers continue to change and move. So every category will have its day. The big category now that's growing in the States is rye whiskey. Right. The brand, like most people's grandfather used to drink, is making a resurgence in the States. Really? Hmm. Yeah, the, the cocktail culture. And I see cocktail culture growing around the globe as well. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I think over here, we're so focused on our beer. like, but we, And we love wine as well, really, I think, in the UK. But it's an, interesting, it's an interesting market. I mean, I think there's so much potential globally. I think that's the major problem with people is that they don't look globally. They actually just look locally to sell their product. And there's so much opportunity out there. I mean, if you use the, the high quality ingredients, right? I mean, you know, you guys obviously use real ingredients. There's nothing artificial in there, is there? And you, and you distill four times, right? So six times, yeah. You know, to reach that, that sort of high quality I think people are really interested in like the traceability of, of, of the ingredients. I mean, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. I mean, certainly in the category of rum, I mean, I've been learning recently uh, a bit about rum and like, you know, molasses is like poison and, 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 and rum is, you know, unfortunately some rum is made still from molasses and the consumer doesn't really know. And that's, and that's a major problem that we've got in, in many, many drinks categories, you know. Yeah, it's a high sugar. Actually, it should be made from sugar cane. They've launched a, a new distillery in, in Grenada, which looks quite interesting because what they're doing, they're actually harvesting the, the sugar cane and then they distill it on the same day, which I find, which I find hugely interesting. Because then it, then, it, then, it, then it preserves the quality of the, of the sugar cane, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good story. 
Yeah, it re- it really is. It really is. I mean, so in terms of like your 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 spirit, does it does it actually go to China? Do you do you ship out there? Yes, we ship to China. We're 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 in virtually every single Asian market. Wow. And most, you know, all of Western Europe. So yeah, it doesn't matter, you know, millennials have the same characteristics no matter which country you go to in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, with social media, you know, you have the opportunity to market your brand and they're all, every millennial is using that medium on their smartphone. I mean, they, right. millennials pick up their smartphone a minimum of 300 times a day. And they, right. they spend about five hours per day on those devices. That gives us the opportunity to build a global brand. Okay. So, so, so what are you sort of doing then with, with, with Tito's, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, I haven't, I, I literally, I have not looked at Tito's uh, social media accounts at all. So what are you, what are you sort of doing? Are you kind of posting pictures of, uh, of having fun with Tito's or, or what? Well, we're known as the vodka for dog people. So, you know, we spend um, a tremendous amount of time supporting pet welfare. So a lot oh, wow. of the post, a lot of the postings you'll see are, you know, people with their pets that have, um, you know, a Tito's dog leash or a Tito's dog bowl or toys, and you know, people post that, and it this has grown globally, and it's a wow. wonderful thing. On at our offices, our headquarters is in Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. all our all our employees based there bring their dogs to work every day and then out back there's a dog doggy playground and um the companies they've you know picked up 35 to 40 stray dogs and then the employees find homes for the dogs and you know this is a this is part of a culture it wasn't a marketing ploy so we just you know around the globe on you know instead of happy hours we have yappy hours right you know we um, giving back is very important, you know, to the company. So we support a lot of charitable causes around the globe. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm having a little look here on Twitter. It's yeah. really quite cool. You've got like, um, you've got like the uh, what is it? The the kind of dress up your dog day. Yeah, right. Um, really cool. It's really really cool. And you've kind of featured. So you've kind of whoever's taking the pictures is doing a great job because you've you've kind of featured the Tito's uh, orange behind behind the dogs and stuff, and then you've got you know you've got lots of so you've actually even got Tito's dog uh, warmer, yeah, um, right. You know, yeah, really really cool. You got your cocktails on there, and yeah, re- that's really really cool, really really cool. So just sort of thinking thinking about. So in terms of like success in, in business, yeah, what would, if you, if you could like leave people with three things that, that they should do to become more successful in whatever business they're in, what, what, would, you, what would you say? Well, integrity is number one. And two is to be real authentic with people. And the third piece of advice I would give is be direct and honest. A lot of people can't handle someone that gives them direct feedback, 
but it's very important because if you don't give people direct feedback, then, you know, they can't improve. So I, I like to tell people when it's time for performance review evaluations, you, mine take the maximum of five minutes because everybody knows where they stand. It's not a surprise. Right. I quite like that approach because it, it's pointless. It's pointless having people that are too emotional in, in there. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of a major, major problem in, in business is the emotion needs to sort of come out of it a lot, you know. I like to share my experiences, public speaking, whenever I get the opportunity. If anybody wants to hit me on LinkedIn, I'd love to accept them. And I just really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to have a chat with me. Yeah, no worries. It's uh, you. You've come highly recommended. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy Starr recommended you, and he's he's got this web show. He's got like four and a half million listeners a week now, or something absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely just cra- it's crazy stuff, really. And it's just really nice to talk to you because you've got so much sort of international business experience in the in the drinks industry. And I like, I like your approach, you know, just sort of finding, finding the duty free and then just going straight in, straight in from there. Right. Yes. Whilst it's time consuming and there's a lot of traveling involved, it's quite, it's quite a simple process. It's it's not, it's not complicated. And that's something that I've realized, you know, is that in this kind of fragmented world, we sort of think everything's so complicated, but, but actually if we stick to the simplicity of it, then things just seem to work really well, don't they? You're correct. It's, this isn't rocket science. It's pretty <laughs> simple. It's all about execution. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.